I'm Lori Hellman, an Indiana warrior mom who has navigated the autism world for 16 years and counting. My hope is to unite autism families by sharing experiences and taking a deep dive into this puzzling disorder. So thanks for joining me on Living the Sky Life, our autism journey. My guest on today's podcast is Kate Colbert, who is a neurotypical wife to an Aspie husband, the mom to four beautiful dogs, and the founder and president of Silver Tree Market Research and its sister company, Silver Tree Publishing. Her husband, Robert, was diagnosed first with ADD, then with Asperger's when he and Kate were in their early 40s. Together with her family, Kate lives in Kenosha, Wisconsin, just minutes from Lake Michigan, is a member of the President's Leadership Council at Carthage College, and is a former board member for A Safe Place, the region's leading domestic violence prevention and response agency. Kate is also a passionate advocate for entrepreneurs with chronic illness or disability, is a strong believer that we can have fierce spirits inside frail bodies, and knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that some of the most beautiful relationships are forged and maintained between people whose vast differences make them seem an unlikely match. When they're not working, Kate and Robert enjoy traveling, especially via cruise ship, to warm weather destinations. Kate is the author of Think Like a Marketer, How to Shift in Mindset Can Change Everything from Your Business, which debuted in the top 1% of all business marketing books on Amazon and was named one of Amazon's top-rated marketing books of 2019. Learn more about katecolbert.com or start a conversation with Kate on LinkedIn or Facebook. I also have to mention that um, Kate became a friend of mine recently um, as she will be the publisher for my upcoming book about autism and my journey with Skylar. So please welcome Kate to the podcast. So on the podcast today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Kate Colbert, who is a publisher, and she's actually the publisher of my book that's coming out next year. So I'm really excited to have her on the podcast, giving the perspective um, of a spouse of someone on the spectrum. So welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be great. Absolutely. Um, when we met and we were talking, um, when I sent my book over to you, you brought up at that time that um, the topic of autism kind of speaks to you because um, your husband is on the spectrum. And that just blew my mind, actually, because I don't know many adults um, that are my age that are um, on the spectrum. And I haven't had a chance to interact with spouses, certainly. Um, of someone on the spectrum. So um, I think maybe backing up to how he got his diagnosis, because you told me that it was you know, later in his adult life that he was actually diagnosed. So um, I guess, can we go back to that about, you know, Robert yeah. seeing counsel, getting counseling from a physician about his ADD? Sure. At your suggestion? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At my suggestion, all spouses are, end up being the... Uh, um, Aspie whisperer, I think, um, in, in our case. So, you know, our story is actually pretty interesting. Robert and I um, met, I don't want to say later in life, but we weren't one of those couples that knew each other in high school or in our 20s. Um, we met when we were um, 32 or 33, I think, um, and uh, I had already been married and divorced. And so we were both really very well sort of established in our identities as adults and in our careers and our personal lives um, when, we, when we met each other. And um, we had, interestingly, um, a very unique and structured courtship. Um, and looking back on it, it helps me understand how it was that I didn't recognize um, some of his differences when we were first dating. So we were super, super busy. Um, and as you may know that with folks with ADD, sometimes having checklists and to-do lists and structure can really help with distraction. Um, and we had started dating. I was in the middle of finishing up my MBA while I was working full-time as the head of marketing for a medical university. And he had a great job and we were super busy. And um, 
probably about six weeks into our dating, I decided I was going to build the dream house. And here I am dating this brand new guy. Um, and, um, and I just somebody one of my colleagues I was talking to um, popped up during a business meeting on the, her laptop. Oh my gosh, have you seen these houses they're building in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is south. It's, it's halfway between Milwaukee and Chicago, right along Lake Michigan. And I was living in Chicagoland at the time. And she says, they're stunning. They're amazing. You've got to look at these houses. And so on a complete um, sort of binge shop sort of uh, uh, thing. I took some time in the middle of a snowstorm. They let us out of our MBA class early um, on a Saturday. And rather than come home to be safe and to avoid the snowstorm, I called my mom <laughs> and said, I want to go look at these model homes. And so I picked her up and we drove through a snowstorm. And of course, I fell in love with the house. And so I came back to my apartment. My new boyfriend, who I'd known for six weeks, uh, was actually at my apartment hanging out. And he just had some dental work done that day. So he was kind of doped up. And um, and I said, I'm going to buy a house. Um, um, do you want to buy a house with me? And he said, huh? <laughs> and, um, and I said, I need a copy of your credit report. <laughs> and, I love it. And uh, yeah, I mean, if for all the ladies who are listening, please, like whatever you do in your life, like learn to love your FICO score, um, you know, protect yourself from, from those folks out there who don't have a good one. And so he did ultimately give me his credit report, which should have been actually my first indication that something was different um, about Robert because he was a mess financially, but he was a really smart guy and he had a good job. Um, and so one of the things we learned later on is that um, folks with ADD just sometimes just let the bills just sort of stack up. They just don't pick them up or open them or take care of them. <laughs> um, so aut automated pay payments has, have really helped. So, um, so I ultimately ended up buying the house myself um, because we didn't like the way his credit score looked. Um, so, so we rephrased that to, I'm gonna buy a house. Would you like to live in with it, it with me? And literally, we met end of October. Um, by December or January, I signed the contract with the builder. Um, by March, we'd broken ground. And in September, we moved into our dream house that we built together. And because we were so busy with working with the builder and making decisions about what kind of carpet, what kind of marble, what kind of tile, do you put a light switch here? The whole process is a little bit frantic and frenetic. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize how uncomfortable it was making him because of his attention issues, but we also had punch lists and to-do lists and meetings and structure. Um, and then when we moved into the house, he proposed that day. And so then we have a wedding plan. Oh. plan. And so our first two years together, we were either building a house or planning a wedding. And the structure of that, I think, helped hide his ADD a little bit from me. Um, and then after we got married and then there were no weddings to plan and no houses to build, it became really obvious to me that something was a little bit unique about him. So he would do things like he would just wander off in the house. I would be in the middle of a conversation and, I, and we'd be talking about something. I'd turn my back for two seconds to like wash my hands in the kitchen or something. And I'd keep talking. I'd turn around, he'd be gone. And I'm like, where the hell is he? <laughs> or I would lose him at the grocery store. Like you lose your children, right? You know, and you're calling them on the cell phone. Where the hell are you? Um, and so there were those sorts of oddities. And then, you know, I noticed he had this inability to go to bed, that he could talk about going to bed for hours and never get there. And we'd finally get upstairs and, and then he'd wander off to his office to do something. And it's like, wait, but we were going to bed. And that started impacting my sleep um, pretty seriously. He actually had such a fixation on his computer screen all the time. He'd go into his office and he'd be staring at the computer all the time. Now he's an IT guy, so he's always there even you know when it's not social but um but i i remember actually asking him why one night whether or not he was talking to somebody i should know about i thought he had a girlfriend and so so there was this this separation where he would get really really sort of sucked into things um uh -huh. yeah serious lack of follow-through on projects or requests you know you can ask um robert 27 times in a day to do something and he's not going to do it we've been together for um 13 years now. Um, and for the last 13 years, I've been asking him um, as a gift to get me to have my car detailed that I would love that if he would take my car and have them clean the inside and stuff. Um, so <laughs> I've been simple. through, yeah, I've been through two cars in 13 years and the car's never been detailed. So, um, and I ask for it for every birthday, every mother's day, <laughs> every Christmas, every time I ask for it and he's never done it. Um, so, you know, the other things I think that folks see in, in 
is, you know, distractibility. So I would find that sometimes when he should be really focused and have his attention really focused, whether it was driving a car or what have you, that he was really easily distracted. But on the flip side, and I didn't know this because I always thought of ADD as something that children have and that makes them, you know, never focused and very hyper. They didn't realize at the time that ADD also can involve hyperfocus. So Robert has the ability, as many ADDers do, to take on something like a six-hour technical conference call and never get up from his desk or get sucked into an activity and completely forego eating, bathroom breaks, sleep, et cetera. So, so I knew something was up. So I ultimately you know, acknowledged first to myself, um, something's different about Robert. Um, and I knew that I was really exhausted. Um, but I was refused to chalk it up to um, lack of relationship compat compatibility. I knew he was a good guy. I knew I loved him. Um, and so finally, I just said, honey, I think, I think you might have attention deficit disorder. I'd like you to go see a doctor. And so he went and saw a physician. They sent him home um, with some really fantastic questionnaires to fill out for himself and for me. Um, and I remember answering the questionnaires and nodding and laughing the whole time, feeling so validated, like, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy. There really is this thing, because he checked like all the boxes. So he was diagnosed with the ADD and then ultimately started working um, with a psychiatrist to try out medication. That psychiatrist was $450 an hour um, and she didn't wow. bill insurance. And so I strongly encouraged him to get a separate talk therapist that we could afford. And that therapist also happens to have ADD, which they get nothing done in their sessions, by the way. Um, and, <laughs> um, but so that therapist actually, uh, probably on the third session said, Robert, I think you have Asperger's. And that was sort of that big moment where autism sort of came into our life and we started learning about it. I'm surprised that he went um, for the the consult with the doctor for ADD, you know, when you mentioned it to him that he willingly went and didn't kind of, you know, dismiss it and didn't want to go. So that's cool. I mean, that he yeah. was like, I don't, on board. I don't remember. I, I don't remember whether or not I had to ask him 37 times or, <laughs> um, which I Probably. may have. Um, but I think, I think he realized too. I mean, this was a guy who I know now that as a child, you know, his parents were constantly buying him like Franklin Covey planners when he was eight and like telling him, <laughs> you need to write things down, right? And they treated him like he was spacey and disorganized and lazy. And, and they were constantly trying to remediate these behaviors with without any sort of diagnoses. And, um, and I think that he knew his whole life that he he was struggling and he was exhausted. And, um, and the other thing I didn't realize about the ADD, but know now is that he tries to process every piece of input that comes in. So if he and I go to a restaurant, for example, I can focus on what's sitting on our table in front of us and the conversation between those of us at the table. Whereas he's listening to every conversation that's within earshot. He's paying attention to who's walking in and out of the kitchen with what kinds of plates and what's happening. You know? So it's overwhelming the stimulus to him. So that, of course, then, you know, I think creates the desire to be a little antisocial um, because the stimulation of all of those sensory inputs is, is a little bit too much. And of course, um, you know, as is the case with many high-functioning um, uh, autistics with, you know, what used to be called Asperger's and now is not, but, um, you know, he's antisocial to begin with, and then the ADD makes that worse. So when he got, when he was, you know, it was suggested that he was an Aspie, perhaps, um, did you guys just start researching that and, and looking into that, and did it check off more boxes for him and for you that, yeah. You know, uh, in addition to the ADD box checking and the, and the, you know, the forms they gave you, did that yeah. answer a lot more questions? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like waking up out of a bizarre dream. It was uh, the Asperger's diagnosis was for me. And I think also for him, a kind of a bright light on a shadowy life um, that suddenly so much really finally made sense. Um, but at first it was a lot to learn. It was really overwhelming. I remember feeling overwhelmed and and initially sort of 
thinking about what this meant for me, you know, why did I have to end up with another quirky husband? You know, I don't have time to deal with this. I don't want to have to fix him. I had to fix my first husband. You know, what's wrong with him? This is not. <laughs> and, and interestingly, as an entrepreneur and as a CEO, I spend all day calling the shots, making all the decisions, you know, where the buck stops with me. And I'm the kind of gal who, because of that um, sort of natural leader tendency during my workday, I don't want to have to be the leader at home. I want right. to be able to come home and have somebody else tell me what we're going to have for dinner. Um, and so knowing that 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 was probably never going to happen, I felt like, damn it, like I, I, drew, the, <laughs> I, I drew the short straw, you know, and I was, it was scary. Um, it was scary for me. You know, I think we've all been warned in relationships if we're in heterosexual relationships that, you know, that you got to understand, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, but understanding that he has Asperger's and I'm neurotypical means we're not just from Mars and Venus. We're from different galaxies altogether. Right. Um, and, and I wondered how we were going to make this work, but ultimately, you know, it's, it's actually become a gift. Um, and I think it understanding his diagnosis rather than just thinking he's sort of an oddball or that we're just very, very different or mismatched has ultimately saved our marriage. Have you, um, did he relay all that information to his family and to his parents or things like that? And if he did, I'm just curious to, cause back then when he was a child, I'm sure, autism really wasn't even a thing. I don't even know if it was labeled no, at that point. It wasn't, um, you know, so a couple of interesting things have happened um, with his sort of coming out um, as an Aspie to his right. family and friends. And um, I would say his um, friends have been awesome about it. Um, and I think my family has been um, maybe a little bit sort of confused or ignorant about it, but, but accepting about it. Um, I personally was really disappointed with how his family handled it. Um, but understanding that that Asperger's is typically um, genetically linked. So if you have one Aspie in the family, you're going to find typically several of them right. um, across generations. And so it was interesting. Um, I was not privy to the conversations he had when he told his parents about it, but I got the sense that they were like, oh, that's interesting. And then they changed the subject. Um, and it's never been talked about ever again. Um, his parents, um, if I were to draw a spectrum um, and were to drop all of his family members onto the spectrum in terms of sort of, um, sort of how different they are from neurotypical, sort of how off center, um, I could plant all of them in different places. He's one of four children and his parents, okay. I, could, I, I could plant them all, all, you know, all six of them I could plant on that spectrum as a non-expert, but as someone who lives with it. Um, but as parents, I think, I don't know if they just don't understand it or aren't interested or don't want to accept that, oh, well then that probably, we're, we're probably Aspies too, or I might be an Aspie too. Um, and I get that. Um, I understand it from a different vantage point. I have um, a rare genetic um, disease called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and it's, it's autosomal dominant. You get it from a parent. Um, and it's, it's pretty clear from her symptomology that my mom has it, but she's never going to say she has it. She doesn't want to talk about it. Um, and I think people don't want to think they maybe gave their kids something that made their life hard. So, but as one brother was fascinating, we were out to dinner right after the diagnosis and Robert tells this, one of his younger brothers, you know, Hey, I was just, you know, I just found out that I have Asperger's. <laughs> his brother Ryan says, Oh, that makes sense. I probably have it too. <laughs> and it was that matter of fact, which almost is sort of, you know, case in point, um, but, right. you know, oh, I probably have it too. Um, so it, you know, it was very, very interesting. Sadly, of course, I've watched struggles in the relationships that his siblings have had with their spouses or what have you. And they struggle with all the same things we struggle with um, when you put neurotypical and an Aspie together. Um, and I think without the diagnosis, they don't have contexts for those conversations or they don't know how to be able to, I don't know if the neurotypical knows how to be able to give the Aspie some grace for just being who they are. Um, and I think that that's difficult because there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of, hot button issues um, that that trigger strife um, and I think can lead to divorce um, when you've got a neurotypical and an Aspie under the same roof. 
I would imagine, you know, I'm just kind of projecting, you know, most of the people that I am talking to on the podcast have been parents and we, we all get into the, the stages of grief of, you know, when your child ages into rites of passage and being able to do lots of things that their peers are doing. I never really projected out to adulthood. And like you had mentioned, you know, you felt like you draw, drew the short straw at one point just because there are parts of the relationship that you would have liked to have had in a marriage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you kind of feel cheated about some of those things. It, it's kind of incredible how a parent and a spouse and we all feel the same way about feeling cheated. And I, yeah. I know that's probably harsh to say, but I do feel cheated in some ways and I'm sure you do as well. Right, right, I do. And I think, um... I was thinking this morning as I was kind of getting ready for my day and knowing we were going to have this conversation today, I was thinking about whether or not I would have even dated Robert if I'd known he was on the autism spectrum when we started dating. Um, and I was thinking about how my insights on that might be helpful to your listeners who are parents of children with autism. Um, because on one hand, while I can, I can tell you confidently his diagnoses of, of both conditions, um, ADD and autism, have been a gift because they've helped us understand each other and it's kept me from strangling him and um, <laughs> but, and, and him from strangling me because he doesn't understand me either. Um, the label, if we're going to sort of use the term, the label right. autistic um, is a tough one. And to your point about the fact that most people, I think at least now as you know, we, we've only had a few generations of beginning to understand autism. I think that I think the label, I think people think of it as a, as a pediatric issue. Um, and some people think of it as a really severe issue of, you know, oh, this means this person's, you know, they don't talk or they're, you know, severely socially inept or, you know, they're going to have all kinds of issues. Um, why would I date this person? Um, and, and I think people wonder about sort of how does intelligence or IQ play into it? Though, interestingly, with, with Asperger's, um, Robert's always the smartest person in a room, unless there's another Aspie in the room, and then it might be a, then it might be a toss up. But you're absolutely right about this sort of sense of feeling cheated. And it's been a huge growth opportunity for me because I think all marriages and relationships struggle with the, the same issues that we struggle with, with, you know, intimacy and housekeeping, communication, finances, uh, personal hygiene is one that maybe most people don't deal with. But as a um, mom of somebody on the autism spectrum that might sort of resonate with you. Um, you know, how he sort of handles social interactions and social conventions. Um, you know, though, as, as Sheldon Cooper on the Big Bang Theory, you know, learned, you know, when someone comes over, you should offer them a hot beverage. Um, so you can, you can yeah. learn about social conventions, but um, those are really sort of hot button issues and they can, they can be huge. And um, I think it helps that I was a fully formed adult when I met Robert and I wasn't looking um, for somebody um, to complete me. And I can say more about that later, but, but I should tell you um, as much as I joke about Sheldon Cooper, um, the television show, the big bang theory was like couples theory, uh, therapy for us. And um, because Sheldon Cooper's character, um, while the writers of the show insist they didn't know anything about Asperger's and didn't try to fashion that character um, after an Aspie and he is an Aspie like anybody who knows like my yeah. husband my husband is Sheldon Cooper um and the the truth is that Sheldon Cooper really gave me my sanity and my hope back when I realized wait first of all this show is really popular so the the masses can learn to love kind of an adorable quirky dude um and that seemed reassuring to me um and it also really helped me understand that like we can, you know, we can sort of love each other for who we are and where we are. And um, I literally cried like a flipping baby when that series ended, when we watched the last episode, I was shaking. I was so sad for it to be over because we watched the show together. Um, it was one of the only things we could talk about. Um, though luckily the spinoff show, Young Sheldon, um, still gives us that opportunity. Um, and now it's actually giving us opportunity to talk about what it was like to be different um, when it was young Robert um, and what his childhood was like. Um, and I should share with anybody who listens to your show, um, if they have a child 
um, who is um, on the high functioning end uh, of the autism spectrum, um, they absolutely need to see the movie called Adam. Um, you can stream it. It's it's not too hard to find. It is has been an incredible gift. It's a, a movie about a young man um, with Asperger's um, trying to figure out how to hold down a job and create friendships and relationships and interactions. And he he's pretty severe. Um, his personality is sort of um, more severe than my husband's for sure. Um, but Robert and I've watched that movie together three times. We made my mother watch it with us and it's triggered a lot of conversations. We paused it a lot the first time. We would pause it on stuff that was really heartbreaking and sad for me. And I would turn and look at my husband and I would say, oh my God, is that how you feel? And he would say, yes. And very so, matter of factly too, I'm yeah, sure. Very, very matter of factly, but it was so sad to sort of see some of the ways in which as much as I feel like I have perspective, the, the ways in which I still have so much to learn. Um, I've read a lot of books and I ask a lot of questions, um, but Robert doesn't know how to articulate them. I mean, he came to me one day and handed me his phone. I was in the kitchen. He handed me his phone and he had typed up some stuff on the screen. And he said, what is this emotion? And he, oh. had, and he had typed, oh my God, I'm gonna cry sharing this story. <laughs> he, had, he had typed shortness of breath, shaking, crying, and he'd kind of like described his physical symptoms. Uh-huh. Um, and we had just had one of our puppies die. Oh. Um, very young and very tragic uh, death of this dog. And um, and I said, oh, honey, that's grief. And I said, Gosh, that's, oh. mm. and he didn't know. He He didn't know. And I asked him, I remember asking him once, so what, what makes you happy? Like what, like, I feel like I've never seen you like run into a room and be like, oh my God, I have the coolest yeah. story to tell you. Or, I'm like, I've never seen you like get giddy or jump up and down or do a happy dance. And, and what would that take? Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't, I don't know if I've ever felt happy. Mm -hmm. And so these are the kinds of things that, that we have to learn to try to understand though knowing we will never fully understand as someone who loves someone on the spectrum. For sure. And that's what's so, it's so puzzling to me. And also it's, I just feel so constrained because Skylar doesn't speak. So yeah. not only do I not know what he's feeling and thinking, um, but he, he has no way of, of letting me know when he's sick and he has the flu. And the only way I know is <sighs> when he vomits and I'm like, Oh, right. he doesn't feel well. And, and I just, I see him when he hits me or he pulls his sister's hair or whatever. And he has zero demonstration on his face of emotion. He doesn't wow. understand that that hurts someone. He, yeah. you know, he doesn't even feel pain really. I mean, he would have to break a bone to really wow. even flinch because wow. he, so he just doesn't understand the things that he does hurt other people. And I just wonder if empathy is just a major thing that is lacking from people on the spectrum. They, they only see their, their goal, their agenda, their perspective on things. And they, they don't understand when someone's crying that they're hurting or, right. you know, like what, what you described. So for yeah. him to be able to at least, you know, elaborate on his, the feelings, the physical feelings, and then, you know, ask yeah. for help attributing to what you call that. That's just yeah. remarkable. It's so I think interesting. It's very interesting. And I do think that there are complex distinctions across the spectrum. And one of the, one of the big mistakes I think I made early on um, was sort of making that assumption that he's not empathetic or he's not emotional or he's not... Um, until he and I were able to really talk this through. And by the way, having a really meaningful emotional conversation with, <laughs> with someone like Robert requires that you be willing to ask a question and sit in silence for minutes and minutes and minutes where Ooh. I would normally say, I asked you a question. And he I says, know. <laughs> I know. And he says, I'm trying to think about how to answer it. And I will say, I, as a professional communicator by trade, I will say, just answer the questions. What are you thinking? Like, what are you feeling? And he says, I don't know what I'm thinking or feeling. I'm processing it. And that was very interesting. But I think one of the things that's really important um, for people to understand is that um, 
I do not believe that there is, I think, I mean, I don't know if there's any research on this, but I do not believe that there is any overlap of sociopathy with the autism spectrum. I don't believe that that people with autism don't care if they hurt you, um, sure. that they don't care. Oh, yeah. I believe that they don't understand if Correct. they hurt you. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. And so it's been my experience that when I can tell Robert, you know, I'm really, really struggling with something or I'm having a really tough time or my, my feelings are really hurt. I think he feels awful. Um, and I think he feels doubly awful because he doesn't know how to express it well. And sometimes he realizes that the differences between us and the way that our brains work um, sometimes created that pain in the first place. And, um, and that's really, that's very difficult. One of the things that I've, I've only been to one therapy session um, with him and uh, two interesting things came out of, out of that. And one of them was coming up with sort of a rule for if I ask Robert a question and it's a big thing, like I need to know, you know, what the hell, why, why is there no money left in that savings account? I thought we were taking a trip to Hawaii. I didn't know you spent it or, um, or, you know, we had a conversation several years ago where I asked him, do you think you would be happier single? Do you think it's possible you could come to the end of your life if you stay with me forever and regret that? Because it's hard to be in a relationship with a neurotypical, do you think you would rather be single? To which he said to me, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Ooh, ouch. That was, so, <laughs> right? Um, that was, I actually, it hurt, but I laughed. Um, that was several years ago. Um, we are still married and he has not gotten back to me about it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you're had, you had a neurotypical response. And that's exactly what most of us would say. Like, ouch, man, that's Right, that's it's harsh. like, dude, dude, that hurts. It's like, what do you mean you don't know? Like there was, we, yes, we would all expect our spouse to be like, no, 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 I love you. Like, I can't imagine not being married to you. Right. I just make mistakes. Or um, and he, he is very, very practical. He is very mm -hmm. logical. And he was thinking about in a logical fashion, like, well, that's an interesting question. Um, and I don't know, and I'll get back to you. Um, and so, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's been, it's been interesting. I think What's interesting too is that very recently I've noticed that Robert is finally um, actually okay with saying that he has autism, that he'll tell people um, that he has it, um, even though there has been like this blurring of the lines be sort of along the spectrum, right? And I, so uh -huh. I think Robert understands that if he tells people that he has autism, they, they may lump him in um, to, you know, a, a group of children or adults who are, for example, nonverbal. Um, you know, whereas Robert's sort of on this, has this special brand of autism um, where he's almost always the smartest person in the room um, and, and, and almost definitely the most highly paid person in the room, um, which is interesting. He's in, you know, um, and autism, by the way, is um, Asperger's specifically is incredibly highly correlated um, with very, very technical STEM careers. So, um, he gets along really, really well with other IT professionals. I've listened to conversations he has, um, and he'll be on one of these crazy six-hour conference calls when there's a server outage, and somebody will ask a question, and they're on speaker, and then it just goes quiet, and no one talks. <laughs> and I'm literally standing in his office. Yeah, they're processing, and I'm like, dude, would somebody flip an answer? The guy, he asked a question, and they're all just like sitting there tapping away at their computers and you know, running prompts and typing in code and trying to figure stuff out. And, and so I've asked Robert, like, why don't you at least acknowledge like, good question. Give me a second. Let me try it. He's like, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> like, so, so his therapist had suggested that I give him space to think about and process things, but hold him accountable to a delivery schedule. So one of the things we do now is that if I ask him a tough question, that's about emotion or about our relationship, and I realize I'm getting nowhere and I'm frustrating him and I'm making him feel like a loser and that he, you know, I mean, he'll do that whole, like I've ruined your life kind of thing. Um, if I feel like we're, we're at that moment, what I now do is I say, how about you take some time in the next day to think about that? Um, and we'll talk about it tomorrow at dinner. It's and that like parenting. It I is. Mean, oh, really. it's a lot like parenting. Yeah, it, it <laughs> is a lot like parenting. think about what you did in your room and I'll talk to you later. We'll talk to you about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your father's going to talk to you about that. Yeah. Um, so, so that has given him 
space now because of the ADD, it's a double-edged sword. So I'll sometimes give him 24 hours to think about something um, that was causing a challenge because of the autism and then we'll regroup and he's not thought about it not because he's not capable of having thought about it because he got distracted and he yeah. didn't do it um so it's like his to-do list and so so that's um really really tricky man it's just a whole nother world that i i just really yeah welcome welcome to it i mean they're, they're you know yeah those who have children like there is going to come a day that you may have to talk to your kids about whether or not they tell their prospective girlfriends and boyfriends that they have autism or whether or not they like, you know, um, Robert always jokes about like when you first start dating, like you don't want to let all the crazy out at first, you know, because then people will, people <laughs> will be That's true scared. of everybody. <laughs> and he, yeah, oh, it's true of all of us. Right. And I didn't let all my crazy out right away either. Um, and by the way, interestingly, um, I did ask him, uh, you know, a couple of years into our marriage, like how did, like, why is it that you used to be really affectionate? Um, so like we, we have like zero, um, sort of romantic or physical affection between the two of us at this point. Um, but, but that wasn't missing in our courtship. And so I remember asking him like, wait a minute, like, were you faking your interest or attraction to me? Or like, where did this come from? Um, <clears throat> to which he said, um, when I first met you, I was fascinated by you, but once I figured you out, I was bored. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. God I know. You. I don't I know. know if I can handle it. <laughs> I know. The, well, yeah. Just the, well, they're brutally honest. I mean, brutally that's, honest. that's yeah. the thing. I think that you, like you said, you either laugh or you cry. I mean, it's the same thing with parenting. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, you can't fault the guy for, for being honest. And then it comes back to emotion. He doesn't understand well, that that's hurting your feelings. Right. Well, um, and interestingly though, I actually think I almost feel like Aspies ought to teach marriage counseling to neurotypicals because, because honestly, if we could all just get out of our messy emotional shit for just five minutes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really to deal with like, you know, this decision we're making about whether to take a vacation or put this money in a savings account or this decision we're making about whether to have a child or this just, if we could just step back, like get out of the emotions and get into the facts about whether the decisions we're making about staying together or whatever are good decisions, we would actually all be better off. I think we could actually <laughs> lower the divorce rate. Um, and I think we could just do better in relationships, but we, we've all fallen, I think, for the fairy tale, the, you know, sure. find your, your prince charming, find your princess. There's, it's all supposed to be sort of wine and roses and what have you. And that is not true, even in um, sort of two-sided neurotypical relationships. I found an incredibly helpful it's not a book at all about autism, but there's a, a fascinating book called uh, Sex 3.0. Um, and it's really sort of about how we all got duped into this concept of what sort of the romantic fairy tale um, sort of monogamous relationship is supposed to look like and how we all keep failing at it over and over because the model is broken. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. work for anyone. And yet we all just keep trying to make it work. Um, and that was fascinating to me. And I actually did ask Robert to read it. And he read that, that book and actually that, that created interesting conversations and sort of new rules of engagement for our relationships. So that, that was really fascinating, but but I'm I guessing do, the yeah. the love languages book isn't really appropriate for the two of you. <laughs> oh no, actually, it was fantastic. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was fantastic. It was very helpful. So, um, pretty early into our marriage, we actually um, got involved with um, a, like it was like a six week, eight week um, experience where we went over to somebody's house, and it was like this group of couples, and we all read the love languages book together. Um, and as a publisher, by the way, Chapman's book fascinates me. So it's been out for like 25 years. I think it was mm -hmm. the only book in history for which it has had more sales year over year than the previous year, rather than them falling off, the sales actually go up, which is it's generational. I think every yeah. parent, you know, once their child is married, they're like, have you guys read Love Language? Read I think well, it just keeps getting I, passed up. I think it's wonderful. And then he's got the whole sort of love languages for children, which I think is fantastic. So in fact, I actually bought Robert a, um, he, he does all the cooking around here and I bought him um, an apron that says her love language is acts of service. Um, because he cooks for me, um, which I, I love. Now, interestingly, I would say the dialects of love languages are different when you're dealing with someone who's not neurotypical. So Robert, Robert will tell you that his, um, 
his love languages are words of affirmation. And I think that may be true um, across the autism spectrum, um, that maybe more so than neurotypical children um, and adults, um, those with autism need to hear us say, dang, that new haircut looks nice on you. Or uh, so Robert grew up in a house where no one gave compliments ever. His dad, he got one compliment once from his dad, he tells me, um, that when he got ready to go to the prom, his dad told him, you clean up pretty nice. And that was- He remembers nicest. it, clearly. He remembers it, and that's not a really a great compliment. Um, so I try to go out of my way, and I'm not the kind of person who's effusive about compliments. Um, and, and especially when you have a spouse who, you know, as an Aspie, like, I mean, I'm just excited if I can get him to take a shower once a week. Um, and so I'm not, you know, so he's no metrosexual, you know, it's not like he's walking in like in Calvin Klein jeans or something. And I'm like, those are great. Um, but I have to like, when he does look nice or he does something I really appreciate, or he does something really thoughtful, I have to force myself sometimes to like stop, like linger in that moment and acknowledge him because he needs to hear that. But his other love language, interestingly, is, um, uh, quality time. And I, I told him, I thought that was interesting when we read the book. Cause I said, sometimes we hang out together we're not even talking to each other I'm like I'm not sure that's quality time but he he says oh no like if I'm sitting like playing on my phone or whatever and you're watching tv or whatever he's like I still feel really good that you're in the room Aww. and and so that's a different dialect of that language um so we we sort of read that language or hear that language differently um but no the, the book ironically enough was actually uh, very very helpful for us and continues to help give us sort of structure for how to understand each other well i know you said that you know in social situations that you know he he tends to be a little awkward i mean he is definitely the smartest person in the room but just engaging in just pleasantries and social conversation at a party or something is a little hard for him. So I always wondered if um, if figures of speech or like teasing and joking, even sarcasm, which is my love language, yeah. <laughs> um, if that um, if if that's something that just puzzles him completely, or if as an adult he's you know warmed up to the way that we talk to each other. That's just you know that's not logical a lot of times. None yeah. of it makes sense. Um, yeah. Does, is that awkward for him or? Yeah, he still doesn't get it. Um, he, he presents to the world as a shy person, which he actually is just not. Um, it's just, it looks shy because he's quiet. Um, and I think people are comfortable thinking now he's sitting there thinking you flipping idiots half the time. Now, a lot of Aspies will say, oh my God, you guys are such idiots. And, and they get themselves in trouble because they say it like it is. They're brutally honest to sort of mm -hmm. use a phrase you just used. Um, Robert doesn't like I think Robert has learned over the years like if you're not sure that that's the right thing to say just don't say anything um, but it it means he ends up disengaging a lot um, right you know we, I do excuse him from social situations almost across the board so um, I am the kind of gal who will jump on a cruise ship with her friends and leave him home if he doesn't want to come and I'm um, the other night we had an event, um, and I'd been driving all day cause we had multiple events and I was tired and, um, I, my joints dislocate because of my Ehlers-Danlos. And so my knee was a little out of the socket. So I said, will you drive me, um, another hour North to this other event? Um, and he, he knew the person we were going to see the event. It was a book launch party and, um, for a book not published by our company, but, um, and he drove and he put the puppy in the back seat and he just hung out in the car. Like he, he didn't come in. He had zero interest in coming in. Um, he went to, he went to quick trip to get a soda. He's obsessed with quick trips. Uh, like I know that you have a son who eats the same food all the time. Um, so, um, yeah, so my husband is the same way. So he's obsessed with the giant drink from quick trip. He's always at a gas station buying a soda. Like, even though he didn't need to get gas, like I can catch Robert going to a gas station three times a day, even though he doesn't, he doesn't have a commute, Lori, he works out of our house um, and he, he'll just disappear in the middle of the day. And then I, there's this giant, it's, his it's a smoke break, it's, it's a smoke break, but it's probably more dangerous. It's like this weird mix of diet, yellow colored poison. Um, but that's kind of his thing. So, so he definitely, um, but actually, we actually love cruising together because cruise ships are fantastic because there's so many things to do and he, we don't have to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So he can go back to the cabin if he wants to, or he can go sit somewhere and read a book and I can go to the piano bar and sing my lungs out with a bunch of strangers. And he can say, this is too much from a sensory standpoint, like the ADD, I can't do this. Um, and it's too social um, for the Aspie. Um, 
but I'm not feeling left out. It also helps again that I was an adult when we met. Right. You know? So, so I, I don't sit around thinking, you know, my life sucks because my husband doesn't want to go out anywhere. So it, he's not saying I can't go out. He's not the kind of husband who says, you know, who are you going out with? And, oh, it's a group of guys. You can't do that. Or it's a, like, he doesn't care, you know, and that is the upside, by the way, there are upsides to being married to an Aspie. <laughs> um, one, he does not care how long I work. I, I work 16 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week. He has never once told me, um, this is ridiculous. You need to put your life ahead of your career. He's never, ever complained about it. Um, if I go out with friends and I'm at a restaurant for five hours, whatever, he will eventually check in on me to make sure I'm not dead. But I mean, it can take, <laughs> I, you're I, killing me. <laughs> no, it's serious. I'm not kidding. Lord. Like I can be gone like 12 hours and finally he'll text like, are you okay? Um, uh, but most spouses would have checked in at the four hour mark, you know, like how yeah. long is this dinner going to take? Um, he also, he also doesn't care if the house is a mess and that is a double-edged sword. So he never complains to me like, you should, you know, keep this house cleaner. But he also has zero interest in helping me keep the house clean. And again, with my health condition, um, like I can't, I can't push a push vacuum because the pressure of it actually takes my shoulders out of the sockets. Oh so, so I've like, you know, we'll, break down crying saying, you know, you're the one who makes the most money around here. Can you please hire a housekeeper? Cause we fired the last one cause they kept breaking things. And, um, <laughs> and, and he's like, he doesn't care. Like he could live in complete squalor. Like our house could look like an episode of quarters and he would not care. And the upside of that is that at least he's not mad at me about it, but the downside right. is he's not cleaning it and he's physically capable. So, um, <laughs> so it's frustrating, but I'm just going to start, we're going to start, we don't, by the way, we also don't share money, which, um, I, another tip I highly recommend to women, um, don't, don't give your money to anyone, um, but, <laughs> um, keep that credit score to yourself. Um, but, but I, you know, I've begged him like, can we hire another housekeeper? Like I can't, I feel I'm ashamed, um, that I have trouble keeping up. So, um, but some you didn't I, have a little OCD mixed in with the ADD and everything. Else. Oh, no. So interestingly, he does. Um, but not, <laughs> not, not about, about a, not about a clean house, but, but about things like, you know, whether or not, you know, the, the screws on the light switch plates line up or, um, at, he is a riot if we host a party. Um, because if you ask him to like make like a meat and cheese tray, you have never seen a more organized stack of cheese or that's my kind of way out the right fudge. There. oh my god it's <laughs> it's artistic he's got to plate it perfectly so but he also does some pretty dangerous shit in the kitchen he's really good because of the add of like turning a stove burner on and then walking out of the house oh. um so so yeah so we've got to be careful with that a little bit um between him and the puppy who likes to jump up to see if there's any cookies cooling on the stove um who you know creates then gas leaks when she hits the burners um you know we, we have to be careful but i mean listen it's it's hard. You know, I'm, I'm super grateful for you for inviting me to talk to you today because I, I, one, it makes me feel validated. Um, when you live when some, with somebody who, um, doesn't know how to process their emotions well and doesn't communicate much. Um, and then is also, um, driven to distraction. Um, I tend to feel ignored all the time. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's, it's lonely. Um, and so I, I appreciate the acknowledgement. And I also hope um, and, and suspect there are a lot of your listeners to your podcast who um, either have an adult in their life who's on the spectrum who are going to feel heard um, through this conversation or who have teenagers or children who are going to be adults someday and need to maybe start thinking about what does that look like when I start thinking about how to, how to help them be prepared to have a college roommate um, or a roommate in an apartment or to be in a romantic relationship or, you know, it, it's complex. Um, and um, I'm no expert, but, you know, I'm a beta test of this for, for, for people who will, yeah. will choose, who choose an Aspie in the future. Um, but I would just say this, like, you know, if you're going, if you're, <laughs> if you're dating somebody or married to somebody who's on the spectrum, um, you have got to to figure out how to do the things that you do as a parent and just do them differently. So you have to understand that you have to lead. Um, so Robert told me one time, he says, I'm a follower. Cause I kept, I'm like, could you just make a freaking decision about stuff? And he's like, I'm a follower. Um, I resist leading him um, to a fault. And it's frustrating because as I mentioned, I don't want to have to lead him. I don't want right. to have to make all the decisions for my spouse and handle his to-do list. And um, so for example, 
people in his family don't get Christmas cards, birthday cards, acknowledge like nothing from us because it's his family and it's his friends. And I think, damn it, you are a smart guy. Like you're, you've got a, a there's an app for that, you know, <laughs> put it on a reminder um, yeah. and, and handle it. And so I don't handle those things for him, which means we fail in some of those ways. But, but I will say that there are places when it comes to, Hey honey, we're going to clean the garage today. Um, I do need to lead in those places. It's a struggle I've got to reconcile. He, I asked him last night, um, you know, during my interview um, um, with the Living the Sky Life um, podcast, is there anything that you would want people to know about communicating um, with, with people on the spectrum, particularly those who are Aspies? And he said, oh, you have to tell them that they just, they have to be direct. They have to take all the emotion out of the conversation and don't be brutal, but just tell us. And, and here's a great example. And, and I know this will sound silly, but I'm hoping this will be instructive. Neurotypicals talk in code all the time. And we, we talk in sarcasm. As, you know, maybe not all of us are not as good as sarcasm as you are. But, but <laughs> so for example, I, so picture me leaving the house um, and running and having to be out of the house for five hours to go to somebody's baby shower and run some errands and do the groceries and all this crap that's on my to-do list that feels like an obligation. I'm not having fun. And I think he's going to sit here all day with the four dogs, watch TV and play video games. And so, and so I say on the way out the door, it'd be really nice if someone did those dishes while I was gone. <laughs> and I come home five hours later and the dishes are still all over the counter and in the sink. Um, and I say, I asked you to do the dishes. And he says, no, you didn't. And I say, nope. yes, I did. I, and he says, no, you didn't. And I said, I said, it would be really nice if somebody did those dishes while I was gone. Yep. To which he looks at me and says, yeah, it would be. Yeah. When are they showing up? And when are when they, they showing up? And yeah, he's I, literally not trying to be a jackass or be a jerk. He's yeah. processing it literally. And so, I think yeah, that's what I was. I think that's more what I meant too when I was asking about figures of speech and the way that we yep. say things because. No, they, he doesn't get it. Yeah, it's very literal, very direct, and they don't do well with passive aggressive, any of nope. that stuff. They mm -mm. they just don't understand. I mean, I shouldn't say that they all don't, and I'm speaking in or, or um, they, it's absolutes, hard, but it's hard for them to appreciate it 100% of the time. And so I think it's easier for a neurotypical to retrain themselves. So I'm learning, tell him to do stuff. Don't ask him or hint about it. Um, yeah. So the other day, like I was really clear and because of the ADD, I can't give him 27 tasks. I have to give him one and wait for him to finish it and then give him another one. Um, and so the other day I told him, I didn't say, will you vacuum the carpets while I'm gone? Um, I looked him in the eyes and I said, I need you to vacuum the carpets the first floor ones and the second floor ones. Um, now I did not ask him to empty the dust bins on the vacuums. So he didn't. Right. Um, but he vacuumed um, and that was really cool. And then I did buy, broke the bank and bought the damn iRobot Roomba. So now we have a robot that vacuums the hard floors. And by the way, so what do we do when the robot turns on? He stands and watches it for like an oh, hour. Oh, I imagine. And I'm like, dude, you could, if you're going to just stand here and not do something else, you could have just vacuumed manually and it would have been faster. He's like, no, I'm helping it map the, we have the fancy one that like you can tell it, you know, hey, Roomba, go vacuum just the kitchen. And it like has a map of the house. So, um, but you also have to just sort of know that there are things that they understand and appreciate. Um, in a way that we're not going to. So we have a house full of 3D printers and my husband's an absolute genius. I hated it. It was, I fought it really hard. I'm like, this is a waste of your time. This is a waste of your money. These are toys, this is, you know. Um, and now I've figured out that he can fix things. So the other day when I said, that when the puppy jumps up to see if there's food on the counters and she kicks the stove burner and it creates a gas leak that's gonna kill us, there's gotta be a way to create some sort of child lock for the burners. And we so have we them. Bought, yeah, we bought them <laughs> and I didn't, the ones we bought actually ended up made it hard to open the oven door without taking mm -hmm. them all off. And so I said, this isn't working. And so I said, could you 3D print something custom that would actually match better and be the perfect size? And he said, yes. So he went and made the project um, child locks. And so, and, and he had them. And by the way, it's not like dishes. That's fun. That is a fun, like, if I say, will you 3d print something like he's gone, he's in his office working on it. And like, that's a, a done deal. So he, he did help create special locks and barn door hardware to make little uh, condos. We have uh, condos inside of our wall where our dogs have little pens. And um, so, 
So you have to learn how to leverage their talents um, and, uh, and figure out what works. So there is an app, when I joke there's an app for that, there's a wonderful phone app called Wonderlist, W-U-N-D-E-R-L-I-S-T. Um, and we use it to keep track of like house projects. We use it for our grocery list. Um, and we have never ever had confusion over whether did somebody already pick up eggs because it's a shared list and he's really good at he'll go in and tap and like everything as he's while we're he's in the grocery store he marks off everything and I know what he got and so um, so there are things that there are some tools but we've not mastered them um, and the tools are only as good as the people who use them so if you're not going to use them there's <laughs> you know good yeah. luck but but you know it's it's definitely been um, an interesting journey for sure. Is he still, I have to ask, is he still doing Grubhub or Uber Eats, whatever it was oh. that he was doing? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so he was doing um, DoorDash. Um, so yeah, so this is really interesting, right? So here's here's a, a, a guy who's, you know, a server engineer and sort of senior IT professional at a large company and um, earns two or three times what I make, um, you know, he's, he's, he's fine financially, um, who decided to start delivering food to strangers via DoorDash. Um, he hasn't done it in the last week or so, but I think it's just because he's been distracted with other stuff or maybe he forgot he does it. I don't know. But he, um, but, but he really, he, yeah, he kind of really got into that for a while. And I thought it was here, here's proof positive of the Aspie personality. On night one, he came home and I said, I got to be honest, honey. I'm like, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm like, I get that it's kind of interesting or fun to, it's an app. So it's almost like, play, it's like catching Pokemon or something, you know, which he's totally into that too, by the way. Um, he did that by, while he was driving a car once and almost killed us and I made him pull the car over. So um, I'm like, um, we're not catching Pokemon while we drive. Um, so, but he, he was, he delivered some food. And I'm like, I can't picture, I'm like, Robert, you don't talk to strangers. You're like totally antisocial. I'm like, I can't picture you having gone and picked up something for, for somebody at, you know, um, Dairy Queen and then driven up to a stranger's apartment and <laughs> handed it to them. Um, I'm like, that is so weird to me. I'm like, I'm like, I'm fascinated. I think it's cool. I'm like, I love it. I'm like, I'm just, I can't reconcile it. And he looked at me very matter of factly, like I was an absolute idiot. And he says, it's not a relationship. It's a transaction. <laughs> you really don't have to speak much. I mean, it's just like, here's your food. Thanks. Yeah. You don't even have to say that. It's like they get a little text that, you know, that your food is out front, you know, and he rings the doorbell and he hands them the food and they already paid via the app and they yeah. say thanks. And, and maybe he remembers to say you're welcome or maybe he doesn't. Um, and he walks away and he goes to Chipotle to pick up somebody else's food. So um, what does he get out of it? You think? Like, I, why um, did he sign up to do it? Yeah, I think it's, I think, I think he, it's fun money. Um, it's, so it's, you know, it's like, oh, I've got this extra $100 or whatever. Um, and th that's kind of interesting, you know. Um, and so I think he, like, I think he enjoys that. But I think it's a game. Um, I think it's an interesting game. I also think he does get stir crazy because we both work from home. And so, gotcha. you know, except for, you know, running out to take a dog to daycare or to get his Go to the gas station. soda at the gas station. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't get out much. And so it's an excuse to get out. Um, and so, yeah, but I, if you had said to me six months ago, your husband is going to want to be a driver for DoorDash, I would say, I would have bet you a million dollars that that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. Um, so you just never know. And, um, and interestingly, I, you know, I, I've introduced the concept to some other people who've started driving for DoorDash and they're relatively antisocial people and um, they love it. They're like, I don't, again, it's a transaction. Um, they're like, I just, I, I do what I'm told. And then I go do again what I'm told next and I make money oh. doing it. Like it's and you very, it's very stop black anytime white. you want. Yeah. It's very black and white. So yeah. 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 You don't have to take a shift today if you don't want to. Um, he also loves the fun of trying to figure out like, Ooh, it's Thanksgiving night and people are hungry and th there's a premium. You get an extra $4 for every delivery in this city. So I'm going to go drive over there to drive or so. Um, yeah. He has like overtime holiday yeah. pay. It is. I know. It's, <laughs> no, I, I hate it because one of our dogs is very, very attached to him. And when he leaves for hours at a time, the dog like paces and cries and it makes my life difficult. So sometimes I make him take the dogs. It depends what the temperature is like, but if it's not brutally cold or brutally hot outside, I'll make him load up the American Eskimo dogs in the back of the car. And so he does sometimes take the dogs um, uh, door dashing with him. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I, I just, I love, I love, love this experience and, and learning from you 
the other side of the spectrum, really. I mean, the, th yeah. the things that I didn't know. And I, I've found so many people on social media that I'm friends with that are adults um, on the spectrum. And there's just so much success. They're, they're doing such amazing things. And like Robert, they have great jobs and they're fully functional in society. And but it's the relationship side that I was always curious about. Yeah. Um, I mean, because there's definitely no, not many setbacks to a lot of people on the spectrum who are fully verbal and go to college and have great careers and do all of these things. There is nothing about the ASPE diagnosis that's holding people back professionally, right. but it's, it's all of the, the quirkiness with relationships and social interactions yeah. that I was just so curious about. And you it, shed yeah. so much light on that. No, I'm so grateful. I mean, if I could, you know, in closing, if I could say that my biggest advice to people who are in relationship, because I, I do belong to some support groups um, of, of sort of Aspie spouses um, and some of the stories people post just break my heart. And my, my biggest advice is that you have to stop expecting your autistic spouse to be your everything. You know, I mean, um, you know, it, honestly, a neurotypical spouse is going to disappoint you too um, from time to time. But like, you know, Robert did not complete me, you know, I was complete when I met him, but, but I did struggle with the fairy tale and I did struggle. But so you have to ask yourself, you know, if your spouse is a great friend, but not a compatible lover, get over it, you know, or if yeah. he or she is the best travel and vacation companion you could imagine, but is never going to be the right partner when it comes to home improvement projects, get over it. I mean, have a different strategy, get more friends, get a career you love, get a dog, or in my case, get four, um, you know, get a handyman, get a housekeeper, get a gardener, a personal assistant, a therapist, a lover, whatever you need to do. It's okay to have a village of people that fulfill all of your needs and interests in your life and not get all of those things from your spouse. You just have to understand that sitting at home and being sad about it doesn't fix it. Um, I find that being really strong and independent allows me to be happy um, in this relationship. I mean, I, I think a lot about that whole, um, that, that whole, you know, is there such a, a thing as an easier, perfect marriage? And I don't think there is, but if you're, if you're safe and you're happy and you're healthy and you love and respect each other, you really can learn to accept each other just as you are, right? That Bridget Jones's diary where Mark Darcy says to Bridget Jones, I like you just as you are. And it was a really sort of beautiful concept. And so you can learn to do that. I mean, I do get tired and I'm frustrated and I fail to take my own advice sometimes about, about how to, how to cope in this relationship, but I love my husband just as he is. Um, and, um, he's really, you know, he's, he's made me live my life differently. I think he's also taught me to have a lot more grace and love and benefit of the doubt for children and adults who may be behaving or presenting differently in public. Um, and I think that that's, that's important. I, I would say though, you know, it's not all wine and roses and not, it's a spectrum. So Robert's mm -hmm. personality makes him endearing and my life is good and it's livable, but that's not the case for everyone. So if, you know, if you're, if you in a relationship with somebody on the spectrum and, and you're using the kinds of words I hear sometimes in these support groups that you're miserable or that you feel abused by the way they speak yeah. to you or what have mm -hmm. you, um, that's not okay. And so it's okay for you to get out if this is not for you. Um, um, it is not an easy road. Um, I mean, it is not just Venus, uh, Venus and Mars. It's two different galaxies. And and you have to be willing to do the work and your spouse has to be willing to do the work too. His therapist told him um, something that I parrot back to him all the time. Um, his therapist's name is Paul. And he said, Robert, here's the thing. He's like, just because you're an Aspie doesn't mean you get to be an asshole. <laughs> and, yep. and I thought that was really great. And so it helps us understand each other and it means he's going to make some mistakes. But once he acknowledges that mistake or that difference, you know, just like the neurotypicals among us, we all have to try to do better when we know better. And, um, and I think he really does. And so my husband has a fantastic heart um, and it's sometimes a puzzle for me to try to figure out. Um, but frankly, I think it's a lot easier for a neurotypical to figure out somebody on the autism spectrum than it is for them to figure us out. And so right. I try to never lose sight of that, that, that I have a, a certain amount of privilege in this relationship that he does not. Well, you're a wonderful person. You're a wonderful spouse. And I, and I, I love your perspective on, 
on all things relationships and, and in this situation particularly. And I am so anxious to talk to Robert. He will be on an upcoming episode as well. So we'll get his perspective on you can, with you. Oh yeah. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. And you'll have to ask him about the fact that he put put my gluten-free pancakes in the oven um, right before I got on the, the call with you. And the and the oven, the oven timer has been going off for about 30 minutes now. Um, and I'm just grateful that I can hear it, but your listeners probably can't. But I'm no, sure it's making him crazy but I know he knows he can't come downstairs because if the dogs bark during this podcast I would kill him so um so <laughs> well I will let you adventure. go enjoy your probably rubbery gluten-free pancakes rubbery cold gluten-free pancakes um <laughs> uh, but hey listen li life is uh it's not perfect um but it can be really beautiful um so thank you for all that that you do um to share um your journey. Um, I've really been enjoying listening to other episodes with your other guests. Um, I think the work that you're doing is really um, shedding beautiful, warm light um, on the lives that a lot of us live. And I'm grateful to you for that. Well, thanks, Kate. I appreciate you. So we will be in touch soon, I'm sure, to talk more things books. But all right. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for your time today. I know you're of extremely course. busy. Thanks for having me. Thank you oh, so much. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode in two weeks. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Living the Sky Life within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select that five-star rating, provide feedback or suggestions about topics you'd like to hear about, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.